My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We're back today with a special one-off bonus episode in the main feed to discuss this weekend's Stephen King Rules Festival. And we've got the people that are running this festival uh, here to speak to us about it today. This is something that's on the on the radar of many Stephen King fans right now and Stephen King himself. Uh, so we thought that uh, some of you would be curious to know a little bit more about it and what you're in for this weekend. Uh, we are joined by James Douglas, Leah Coglin, and Norm Coyne. Folks, uh, say hello to the crowd and introduce yourselves, please, as well as your role within the festival. Sure thing. Hello, everyone. My name is James Douglas, and along with Norm, I am a partner in Barker Street Cinema, which is a film company that we uh, founded uh, back in 2017 while we were filming our own Dollar Baby, uh, The Doctor's Case. Um, I wrote and directed that, and we have since gone on to make a couple of other films. Um, Norm and I and Leah are the the trio behind the Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby Film Festival, and we're extremely excited to be here today. Hey crowd, um, I'm Leah Coglin. I am the whip cracker, the resident smartass, and the Twitter wrangler. So it's really great to be here, and I'm so excited for this festival to take off over the weekend. Yes, and so are we. And I've enjoyed our uh, mutually smartass interactions. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> thus far. Uh, Norm, you want to say anything for yourself? Well, I mean, James kind of covered it for me, I guess. Uh, I am also a partner in Barker Street Cinema. I am also uh, going to be one of the hosts of the festival. But um, uh, outside of that, uh, you know, like we, I've got a, a pretty unique tie to this too. I mean, we all do. Um, I own a convention, a Comic-Con in Prince George. Uh, oh, so cool. that is actually how we've made some inroads on on some of this stuff that we're doing. And so that's kind of my claim to fame locally. And oddly enough, not not the hugest Stephen King fan. You're You're a Dean Koontz guy, right? <laughs> found yourself oh, slipping away at this. Up. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's what next week's show right on <laughs> james why don't you tell us a little bit of i mean eric and i are already familiar um and i imagine a number of our listeners already are but for anyone who isn't what can you tell us about what a dollar baby is what does that mean in relation to stephen king well, a dollar baby is a very special breed of emerging filmmaker that um, has been forming relationships with Stephen King uh, since 1977. That's when he uh, was the inaugural year of the program. And the basic idea is, is that King realizes because he gets a lot of requests or has historically got a lot of requests from student filmmakers in particular, looking to adapt something non-commercially just so that they can use it as a, as a, a project to work on. And so he formalized the Dollar Baby deal, which allows emerging filmmakers to put in a proposal. And if, uh, if his people like the proposal, he will sell you the non-commercial rights to one of the short stories that he currently holds license to. There's a list on stephenking.com. And uh, you... Then for a dollar, he will give you the non-commercial rights. So that means basically you can raise money to make the film. You can show the film at festivals around the world, but you can't put it online normally and you can't sell it to a distributor or charge money for people to come and see the film. 
it's a non-exclusive agreement as well. So other people can make the same film that you're making. It's really just an opportunity for people to work with some really great source material and come up with a product that hopefully they are, they're very happy with. And I found out about the Dollar Baby deal in 2016, actually, uh, just prior to uh, making my own. My understanding is that King really, uh, like like you were saying, this isn't meant to be like a launching pad for a lot of careers, although that has happened. This is more of a of a way for him to help student filmmakers who, you know, one of the biggest hurdles of, of creating uh, art and finding your voice as a director or a screenwriter or whatnot is is uh, is that materials, that concrete foundation. And, and King has such great stuff to to use. So that that's why a lot of the dollar babies you'll see. Uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to catch it at a festival or, you know, I remember back in the day, tapes would go around sometimes of, of dollar babies and stuff. Um, that's why most of those you'll, you'll see them. A lot of them are very experimental. A lot of them are, are these filmmakers trying to figure out their craft. And, uh, that, that's kind of what makes them interesting is that you have a lot of these people, you know, that are just raw and hungry trying to attack, you know, what is, uh, essentially just really great material. Oh, 100%. And I think that's what's why we're so excited about the Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby Film Festival that we are having this weekend, because we really do get an opportunity to see a whole slew of different takes on these stories with a variety of different budgets, a variety of different uh, pieces of equipment that are, that are available to the filmmakers. We also have a nice selection of things from all throughout the history of the Dollar Baby program. We have um, James Cole's Last Long on, Rung on the Ladder, which he filmed on a Super 8 camera in the 1980s, uh, then right up to some oh, really- no shit. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's really a great opportunity when people do get a chance to see these dollar babies um, to, to see some, some people in the very early stages of their career, or perhaps they're just doing it because it's something that they want to do. Um, so you get an opportunity to see Stephen King through a number of different lenses. And of course, there's always, for every dollar baby that you haven't heard of, there's somebody like Frank Darabont, who's uh, the, the woman in the room uh, in 1983. And uh, that, of course, launched his career and his relationship with King that ultimately led to the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. So there's lots of people to look up to and there's lots of great people to learn from too. Well, and the Darabont one was a rare a rarity in that King liked it enough to um, essentially give give his okay because that, that one went around on like a double cassette, right? With another King short story. Am I th- remembering that correctly? You're remembering it correctly. It was the Night Shift collection. Although from what I've read, that might have happened in the reverse order. It sounds as though, and you know, I'm, I'm only just going from memory, but it sounds as though proper permission wasn't sought before it went on the, on the tape. And then <laughs> okay. uh, it was ret- retroactively awarded to him. But uh, again, I'm, I'm just sort of half remembering that. That, that, that sounds like Darabont. That sounds like the Frank I know. <laughs> That's the, the ask for forgiveness and, and not for permission. Classic, classic Frank shenanigans. <laughs> well, it seemed to work out for him. So. Right. Yeah, no shit. Norm, how did the idea for a, a film festival come about? Well, James and I, once uh, once the doctor's case, our own dollar baby, um, was completed, we were lucky enough to travel around with it to, you know, festivals all over the place, right? Like we, I mean, we're from Northern British Columbia and we're heading to like New York and LA and Houston. Um, and it was really thrilling for us. And along along that path, we, we got to know a lot of the filmmakers um, that are actually also fellow dollar babies. And you know what, like when the pandemic started to kind of rear its ugly head last year, things started to get canceled. Festivals started to get canceled. I, my comic convention that is like a big thing for me each year canceled. 
And I was about ready to stab myself in the face. And uh, James and I just started talking about, you know, like, what, what can we do to kind of to help, you know, put something together that's uh, that will help people in the pandemic have like some kind of an escape through entertainment. And, and then as we talked further, we're like, okay, well, I mean, we, we have so much fun at these festivals. It's a really great way to network. You know, maybe, maybe Stephen King, because of the pandemic, would allow us to kind of pull something together that would actually be a virtual festival. And then, you know, the, these filmmakers that have worked so hard on their projects actually will have a, an opportunity to, for people to see them, despite the fact that, you know, no one can go anywhere. And um, for us, that's actually personally something that's, uh, you know, like we we're all about trying to empower other filmmakers and build, build our network mm-hmm. and get to an audience. Right. And um, so we actually, we reached out, I don't know, James, when did we reach out? How long ago was that? It was actually April of, of 2020. Okay. So April of 2020. And we didn't hear back from for a, like a long time. And as it turns out, there was just a little bit of a, wait, you a, reached out to who King to King's office. Um, so James, it's Margaret Morehouse. Oh, right on Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of like the, uh, his lead in his office who kind of manages the dollar babies and whatnot. Basically we hadn't heard anything back and we're like, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll, we'll touch base again. And, um, I, that was probably February. Hey, James. Yes. February. But I guess, uh, like once it was figured out that it was communications glitch, um, I mean, things moved pretty fast from there. It was like, uh, she, she basically conveyed that, uh, King had given his blessing and, and it was go time from there. Basically, after that, it was like getting in touch with all these filmmakers that we kind of met along the way. And there is very much a dollar baby kind of filmmaker community. Um, mm-hmm. So from there, we we pulled together, you know, as many as we possibly could, given our time and resources and everything like that. And and flash forward to, you know, it was announced and, and things have been ballistic ever since. Speaking of which, uh, Leah, you're handling the publicity side of all this. Yeah. I'm handling some of the publicity side of things. Um, I've worked with these two evil geniuses on quite a few projects over the years. So we all have our natural wheelhouse that we fall into. Right. And uh, one of the things that I said to these guys, I was like, hey, we need to have a tweet along for this because like, I'm a huge fan of The Last Drive-In. Um, I love talking to the, hu- the horror community on Twitter and it just seemed like a natural fit to put this party on the same type of platform. Um, mm-hmm. So the James and Norm, they were actually out filming a different movie in March. And I knew that this festival was coming up and I was like, Hey guys, mm-hmm. let me just like take over and like go start building our community online. And it wasn't until like, I, we were probably established for about a month or so with maybe 500 followers. And then um, Norm put together the uh, press release that went out and that was just like the game changer for us. Mm-hmm. So suddenly we're getting, um, our press release put into like uh, Dread Central, um, Nerdist. And, you know, we can't forget about the fact that Stephen King himself um, tweeted about us multiple times. Right. So that was like a shitting our pants moment. But what is, <laughs> what is like even funnier than that? Th- going back like really quickly, a couple years ago, we had made a different TV pilot and l- l- very much similar to this um, instance. You know, I was setting up a Twitter account. I was, you know, getting followers and such. And I just finished, you know, putting all that together, a couple of tweets. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. You know what? I'm going to smoke a joint now. So literally seconds after I get high, I get a text from Norm and he's like, oh my God, did you see it? Did you see it? 
Stephen King tweeted about us. And I was like, what? What? And I go back to this account and I'm looking everywhere and I don't see anything. And um, Norm loves to punk people. And he comes back and he's like, <laughs> just kidding. And like, I'm high as balls, like not understanding <laughs> why I'm not seeing this. So the really funny thing is we come full circle a couple years later. Um, Stephen King did like three back-to-back -back tweets about us. I screenshot it, sent it to the boys, and Norm thought I was punking him in return for what he did to me years ago. So it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> I think if King ever tweeted about our show, I think Eric and I would just lock up like characters in Jurassic Park. You know, like <laughs> yeah, we'd be the lawyer sitting on the toilet as movement, the T-Rex like, is looming, yeah. looming above us. Yeah, like don't. Don't move. Don't move. <laughs> His vision's based on movement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even like put sentences together. I'm trying to thank him on that tweet. And I'm like, you know, we have so much gratitude, but it would probably come out as clucks and whistles at this point. So. <laughs> Some years back, uh, Trent Reznor followed me on Twitter oh and I God. almost threw up and <laughs> and uh, and then just didn't tweet for hours and was just sitting there like. <laughs> I'm just supposed to keep tweeting out dick jokes now. Like, what am I? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? Like, I was like dry heaving. It was. Uh, I know how intimidating uh, that can be, but you, you've you've gotten a lot of press out of this thing, and we um, have. it's awesome. To and I and I know that actually because every time an article gets written about this, uh, it gets immediately forwarded to the Kingcast, and they're like. Are you all gonna do anything with this? Like, what's going on? Like, like, yes, we're aware. Fuck, man. We, we know. On that we have a whole moment show devoted to Stephen King. We know. We know. We're we're, we're working on it. I've seen yeah. the tweets come at you too from your fans. Like, are you guys getting on this train or what? <laughs> Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about how people can can uh, attend the festival because people can see this. This is all free, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, totally free and it'll be simultaneously live broadcast on our Vimeo channel and our YouTube page. Uh, so Barker Street Cinema on YouTube and Barker Street Cinema on uh, Vimeo. And uh, there'll be lots of information coming out via Leah on Twitter uh, for the tweet along and the links will be sent out at that point, too. So, yeah, so there's like a party atmosphere around this. Yeah. So people can be watching live. And as you were saying, can you much like the last drive and can be, you know, kind of building a community around it and talking to other like minded Stephen King nerds about what they saw, what they liked, what they're watching, you know, all, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's okay, a way that so these things have never has never been able to, uh, you know, been able to be watched this way, because like you're you're saying, like the rights really only up until this point have been. You know, maybe if you're lucky enough to be at a, a festival where one of them is screening and you're limited mm -hmm. to talking to whoever's there. But now, you know, now the, the world is is open to it. You know, they're mm -hmm. no Man, pressure. There's right? going to be a massive amount of people watching this, like judging by the response that like, I mean, just being in his orbit, like our YouTube subscribers have grown by like, you know, like 1300 or something like that, like just over like days. And right. and I mean, like the uh, the articles too, like seeing like because i've got it in google alerts or whatever and right. and i'm like oh look there's a swedish article oh look there's a german article oh look there's a french article oh there's a, an article from india i'm like i'm i'm super excited to see how many people actually end up tuning in for this i it's crazy i think that we should uh run down a, a lot of the titles that people can yes uh, good idea can see here 
Yeah, I think that's probably a great step. So everybody knows where they can see it. They know when it's uh, starting Friday the 23rd, correct? Yep. yep. So that should be right on the heels of you guys hearing this, anybody listening to this. Uh, you know, that, that'll be the day after that this airs. And uh, what's in day one? Like, you want to run down, like, some of the, the titles that, that are in day one on Friday? Sure. Um, we start our day at three o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Um, we're going to have a little welcome party chit chat, um, followed by dedication, one for the road. We have some exclusive interviews coming up, which are not announced yet. Uh, Gray Matter, The Boogeyman, Here There Be Tigers, All That You Love Will Be Carried Away, The Man Who Loved Flowers, Everything's Eventual, Beach World, and A Very Tight Place. That's our Friday lineup. I am very excited to see A Very Tight Place. I don't know how you film that and make it not utterly repulsive, but I am excited to find out. <laughs> it is it is a great film. I actually, I was really excited for that one too, because I had heard an interview with the director um, a little bit previously, a, a few months ago, and uh, I was really excited about their attempt to make that because it's got a real, I mean, you're, as, you, as you know, from reading the story, it has a very interesting setting. Oh, indeed. <laughs> And also that that poster for dedication. How do I talk about this without coming off extremely crude? But <laughs> you're with the right people. <laughs> if you've if you've read that story, the the poster is of a woman sort of submerged in a, a white liquid, uh, which I was I was dumbfounded when I saw this poster. <laughs> I was I was blown away by the pardon the expression in this context, but the balls. Of, uh, <laughs> of of making that your poster um uh these guys are really gunning for it you know so uh that was another thing i was excited by that's a female filmmaker too. um how about day two what do you got on day two day two we start at 1 p.m pacific standard time and we're starting with garish followed by lt's theory of pets the last rung on the ladder Paranoid, another exclusive interview, My Pretty Pony, All That You Love Will Be Carried Away, The Doctor's Case, The Woman in the Room, In the Death Room, I Am the Doorway, Popsy, and then another, The Man Who Loved Flowers. Putting your own movie on day two, very humble, very humble. You could have fucked around and made it the closer. <laughs> Uh, there's some great films in the closer for sure. I just wanted to say too, for listeners who might not know what Garish is, um, there's a, a sort of an infamous uh, story that that King wrote years ago called Cain Rose Up, which is about a school shooting. And Garish is actually a, an adaptation of that story as well as a, a prologue that was written by the filmmaker to kind of explain the events leading up to the story. So if you're interested. You know, I wouldn't have known what that was off the top of my head, but we just recorded something recently somewhat related to that. And the name of that character stuck out to me while we were talking about it. And then I saw like Garish was on there. I was like, I wonder if that's about that fucking story we were just talking about. <laughs> and sure enough. So uh, walk me through day three. Day three, we are starting a little bit earlier at 11.15 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We've got Rest Stop, followed by Mute, Vinton's Lot, Graduation Afternoon, another exclusive interview, Uncle Otto's Truck, The Passenger, and Survivor Type is closing it out before we come back on and say goodbye to everybody. Good choice. What is Vinton's Lot? 
Vinton's lot is playing at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. No, I mean, what is that? I'm not unfamiliar. Oh, sorry. With it's it's an adaptation of Jerusalem's Lot, the short story. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's just uh, set in a different place. Oh, right on. Why why set it in a different place? To be honest, I haven't asked the filmmaker that yet, but we may have an opportunity to do so uh, because, of course, um, our, our films, uh, as time will permit and as their schedules permit, uh, we do plan to talk with most of the filmmakers behind the, the films that we're going to see uh, in the space uh, between the, their screening and the next one. So we will get an opportunity to ask questions like that. Okay, is, right on. Is rest stop the one where where there's like the car in the rest stop that keeps eating people? Yeah. Is, 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 is am I thinking of the right story? No, actually, you're not. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> the car that I didn't. People. I didn't just say yes with confidence right there. <laughs> I meant was no. It is the story um, where there's a fellow who's at a rest stop and he hears an altercation oh. um, inside the bathroom and has to decide whether he's going to intervene. Yeah, Eric, I think you're thinking of like exit number or something. Yes, yes. Or one another. Yeah, I get the two confused as well. Hmm, that's that's interesting. That That's one that I re- – the reason why I asked is because that was one that like jumped out to me when I read it as like being extremely cinematic. The the So I was like, oh, man, is this somebody finally actually grab it? I didn't realize that uh, it was in the Dollar Baby program, but maybe it's not. Maybe that's why it's not here. It isn't, and that's why it's not. There you go. <laughs> matter of factly from james we're, 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 exp- we're experts here we know what we're talking about <laughs> now when we first started talking to you guys uh we we asked for like you know can you send us some of these dollar babies so we can talk about them on the air while we're talking to you and uh you sent over four of them all of which i loved to greater or less degree so let's talk about those uh eric do you want to go first like is do you have one you have a question about or, or one you have something to say about? Well, I mean, I I think we should save uh, Doctor's Case for last because obviously we can sure. talk a little sure. bit more sure. in depth about that one. Um, the one that I was the most excited to check out was Beach World because that is one on a low budget level. Like I just had the, the question, like, how do you make that? Because it's a very pulpy sci-fi story. Um, that can be done uh, isolated, right? Because it's basically just about two people, you know, mm-hmm. on, on a, sitting on a dune. So that that's that uh, that part of it, I understand how you could pull off as a as a super low budget thing, but it's also like a very hard sci fi story. There's a, a fucking cyborg that shows up at some point. There's all this other stuff. So that was the one that I was the most curious to check out. And they do they do something interesting. They dive into the psychological aspect on this one, and we we won't spoil anything uh, here in case you haven't read the story. Um, and this one takes a little a couple of liberties actually with the story as well. Um, but again, it's just a, a good example of seeing how somebody can approach uh, you know something with with that kind of hunger and you know using it as a way to kind of shape their cinematic voice. So maybe we mm-hmm. start with Beach World. I would totally agree with you. And uh, I've Jackie Perez is the director of Beach World, and she's been a, bit, a real inspiration, actually, uh, all the way long. Um, she uh, got permission from King early on in the pandemic to show that online uh, for people and was one of the first ones that, that got that permission. So in, in some ways, that helped sort of foster the, the appetite for a festival like ours. But I, I do think, too, that, you know, it, she did take some liberties with the story. And I think for uh, the purposes of the film that she's made, they 
work really well. Um, and I think it helps to answer some of those questions that we might have about how are you going to do this hardcore science fiction film on, on a limited budget. Um, and delving into the psychology of what the scenario is, I think, was a really great tack to take. She, uh, you know, introduces uh, a female main character instead of a male character. There's a lack of Beach Boys music in there for rights reasons, I'm sure. Um, you know, but, uh, but like, yeah, no, it, it's very stark and it, you know, just automatic production value having, having you know, being able to shoot on a desert, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, too, um, you said that, you know, she made her main character female. The entire production was 60% female, just as an interesting little fact to all the ladies out there. And it's also the last time that um, this film's going to be run in a film festival, too. No oh, shit. It's being vaulted. It is being vaulted. Well, also Jackie has indicated uh, that she has an announcement to make during her Q and a um, after, after the screening. So I'm wondering if maybe there is some future for the film that she's going to talk to us about. That's interesting. I'd be very curious to hear more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I was, uh, if Eric was super excited to watch beach world, the one that I wanted to check out first was survivor type. You know, for many years, that was my favorite story out of Skeleton Crew. I think it's changed now. I think it's changed uh, 50 times in the, <laughs> in the preceding years. But um, I'll watch any Survivor type adaptation you put in front of me. And in this one, and it, I don't know if I should say it. In the spirit of not giving anything away about it, I will just say that within two seconds of it starting, what I realized what the format of it was going to be. I was really excited. That's a brilliant way to tackle that particular title. And also, I will add that the amputation scenes in that one are very gnarly. Like I I had to I was doing a thing where I was like holding my hand up in front of the screen <laughs> as to as to not see the the knife going into the leg cuz it is they're not fucking around over there. Um no. they they show it to you. And they I aren't didn't. fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> I made I a reaction video to that just to show James and Norm. And all you hear is just screaming in the background and my face contorting. And Norm's <laughs> just like, no spoilers. And I'm like, this isn't a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, this yeah, is a genuine human outpouring of, of grief and horror at, at the thing that's going on in front of me. And uh, so I did some digging on this one and saw that uh, Gideon <laughs> Emery is the guy that starred in that thing. I, I, I guess he's um, known for Teen Wolf, a, a series that I honestly did not watch, but also like a bazillion uh, video games. He did voiceovers for uh, all many of which I played and uh, TV series and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I like that guy in it and, uh, I really, really enjoyed what they did with that adaptation. I've seen a few survivor type adaptations up to this point, And I think it's my favorite that I've seen. It is insanely good. He was insanely good. That was like, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking like, I'm like, how long did they film that over James? Do you know? Um, it, it wasn't a tremendously long time. Like it was, it was anywhere between just from talking to Billy Hansen, who's the filmmaker behind uh, survivor type. Um, it seemed like it was no more than a week that they were working together. Um, but again, maybe that's something that he can talk about uh, during the festival. Cause I'm only kind of remembering that half 
remembering like I seem to do everything, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, they, <laughs> they had him for a concentrated period of time. I mean, it is a little bit easier when you have a single, pretty much a single cast member uh, to work with scheduling wise, but given the, the depths that they had to plunge with him, um, it's amazing to think that they would have gotten mm-hmm. all of that in the time, in the time that they did. I mean, you're right about those amputation scenes and given that there is no CGI in that film at all, it is all practical. <laughs> um, I yeah. was amazed oh, yeah. at how realistic it is. Definitely, definitely a, a page taken from 127 hours. They they do not, you know how that how that one. It's like you know it's coming, and it really is the the dread of it. And then when he finally starts doing it, it's not like it's not clean. It's not a clean process, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that and and that camera holds on that shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting a big taste of that, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't eat afterwards and I had some really good chicken in the fridge and I was like, "No, I got to wait it out. I got to wait it out for a bit." Just got to snap that bone. Snap that bone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Uncle Uncle Otto's truck. This is another skeleton crew story and this is one that's very Poish. It's very much about a, you know, the uh, guilt of, uh, of something like slowly creeping up on you. And uh, in this case, the, the slow creep is in the form of a, of a rusted out beat up old truck. So what can you tell us about uncle Otto's truck? Well, um, I was very interested to see this one too. I, I did get an opportunity to see it uh, several months ago, just having a conversation with the filmmaker and specifically the, the lead actor, uh, Peter Holland, who I think actually is one of the reasons why this adaptation works so well for me. Like it's an it, it's an interesting adaptation of the story because it has elements of Christine in it as well. I think visually mm-hmm. uh, the way that he's tackled it, but but you know, really for me, what really elevates this film is Peter Holland's performance. I think. As Otto, he he brings a whole lifetime of experience as an actor. I know that he's an actor and an acting teacher um, where they come from, um, but I just felt like there we were watching a master at work there. Right. They definitely take like a stand by me uh, approach a little bit. There's a lot of nostalgia because it it takes place over generations, right? Uh, and stuff which which I you know definitely appreciated. There's you know obviously a callback to filmmaking techniques and just that weird like uh, you know how Stand by Me whenever you have the Gordy flashbacks to his brother how everything's got like a milky haze to it and everything. Yeah, like, I can I can totally feel that at the at the beginning here when when uh, they're recounting the the long history of of these two brothers and yeah. and what a what an outside the box sort of title to pick to make a, a short film on, you know, it's not, it's not the first, like if I'm a, a budding filmmaker and I'm looking at a list of available King titles, uncle Otto's truck would not be my first choice, <laughs> you know? Um, and probably for those reasons you were just saying, you know, it, it involves a certain amount of gauzy sort of olden days kind of thing. So right off the bat, I know it's a period piece. I know this, I know that, um, but they nail that aspect of it. Like it's um, it's convincing, you know, and, you know, pretty great to watch. But that brings us to uh, what turns out to be uh, me and Vespi's favorite of what we saw. Um, Thank God, or else this would have been a very <laughs> awkward conversation. Oh, it, would have been so, <laughs> it would have been so fucking awkward. You <laughs> and if and if we didn't realize and we we're like, well, we liked all of these, but uh, the darkness. <laughs> case was a piece of trash. <laughs> um, 
which, which uh, true story, like no more than 90 seconds before, before James and Norm and, and uh, Leah came on. Uh, we, we were, I, I informed Scott that yes, indeed, the people we were talking to did make this, this short film. He came to it very honestly. He came to this opinion very honestly. Yeah, yes. Uh, so you, you madmen decided to film a, a Sherlock Holmes period piece. And it was your first film? <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, Norm and okay. I have, have worked on a few Grindhouse shorts before, but I've just sort of produced and been in them. But uh, The Doctor's Case was very definitely the, my first attempt at writing and directing a film. You got major actors to appear in it, like people we know. <laughs> that was that was a miracle. And, uh, you know, like serendipity. Like Smoking Man from X-Files is in there. Uh, the um, Crosby. Oh, God damn it. I'm forgetting. Denise, Denise Crosby, Crosby, thank you for saving myself on that yeah, one. Pet I was going to say Star Trek, Star Trek the next generation. Yeah. 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 And that was, I mean, it was a wonderful thing to be able to have happen. And it's all, again, sort of built upon relationships that Norm in particular, but Norm and I have been building with people in, in association with Northern FanCon, the comic book expo and, and fan expo that, that he runs. Um, because, and that's kind of how we got Denise Crosby, because back in 2013, long before we were even planning on doing the, the, the Dollar Baby, um, Norm had an idea to bring a few celebrities out to an annual geek weekend that we held here at Barkerville. Barkerville Historic Town and Park is the largest historic site in Western North America. It's a Victorian gold rush town that I work for and have worked for upwards of 20 years now. Um, and so we brought Denise Crosby and a couple other people out to Barkerville to be part of this weekend. And they did Q&As and signed autographs. And Denise was just fantastic. Like we really hit it off. She's a super nice person. And so we every once in a while would sort of email exchange. And then in 2016, when I got the Dollar Baby contract from King and realized that I was going to be able to make this film, I immediately reached out to her because there was a character I wanted to write specifically for someone else that could be sort of in conversation with the older Watson because the doctor's mm -hmm. case is written just like a Sherlock Holmes story. It's Watson recounting the events of a case that happened. This one just happens to be 50 years after the fact, because by now uh, Holmes has died. He's been long dead. So uh, Watson feels like he can tell the one time, uh, the story about the one time he solved a case before Sherlock did. So we want, I knew I wanted to have the older Watson talking to somebody and recounting this story before we go into flashbacks. And I wanted it to be a woman because there aren't really that many women in the story already. And so immediately I thought of Denise. And of course I thought about the fact that she was Rachel Creed in the original Pet Cemetery adaptation, and and I knew her from Star Trek: The Next Generation. But by then, we'd had sort of a friendly relationship, and uh, to my absolute delight, uh, she invited Norm and I down to visit her in LA, and we hashed out an idea of of how to bring her into the script. I didn't even have a script at the time; I was still sort of mulling some things over. Uh, and uh, she said yes, and because she said yes, then we knew that you know the person that was going to be the older Watson with her needed to be somebody that had the same kind of experience and, and pedigree mm -hmm. in film and TV that she did. And again, through a nice serendipitous uh, series of conversations, uh, we got in touch with William B. Davis's agent. We did have a script by that point. Uh, he liked it enough to, to sign on and, and really did us a huge favor by, by doing that for sure. Well, well, it's that, really good. Like it, yeah, <laughs> it looks period authentic for one thing. And the other thing is, my favorite thing about that story is the magic trick of the painting under the table, mm -hmm. you know, 
when I was a kid and I had nightmares and dreamscapes, that was a story I tended to skip over. Like I didn't when I read that book, I, you know, when you're a kid, you read the shortest ones first. Right. Yeah. Yes. And of then course. and then you expand outwards. And I kept skipping over that one. And eventually I read it. You know, I was running out of stories to read in that book and was like captivated by this idea of the painting and like how that would look in in uh, in real life. I don't want to spoil the mechanics of it for anyone that hasn't read it, but y'all fucking killed it. It looked oh. exactly <laughs> like it looked exactly like what I would have pictured you know, it, when I was uh, not would have pictured, but what I did picture while I was reading it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And that that I will totally give credit where credit is due. Uh, one of our prop people on set was uh, a woman named Mia Serrato, and she was the one in charge of all of the paintings that appear uh, throughout the film. And I, I really think she just she managed to really nail it. Oh, for sure. So that was a real piece of did it really look like that? So that's the actual painting. Well, what, yeah, I mean, what we did was we used photographs um, that then were run through Lightroom and Photoshop in a variety of ways to give it a real, uh, real sort of oil painting feel and then uh, printed it onto canvas so that it was a real practical thing. Um, it just had gone through a couple of digital layers first. No shit. Where's that canvas now? In my garage. <laughs> <laughs> no lie. Well, if you ever need like to... to offer you fifty American dollars for it, <laughs> yeah. we'll take it. We'll I've, been take plan- it. <laughs> I've been planning a murder, and I, I'd love to do it in a billiards room or or something of that sort. I'd like to say that it's great that you're you you guys are the ones. Uh, you know, kind of spearheading this this whole Dollar Baby Festival and getting it out there because the uh, weirdly enough, your film is tackling something very similar in that that King is almost doing his own Dollar Baby here because he's playing in somebody else's universe, right? He gets to write his own his own Sherlock Holmes story, or in this case, you know, more of a John Watson story, but he gets to to play in somebody else's uh, you know play box essentially, and that's what he's allowing you know, all these young uh, up and coming filmmakers to do with his stories is play in, in his, in his sandbox. And so I don't know, there, there's a nice little bit of synchronicity. I, we keep using that word. So I'm trying to find another word <laughs> to use, but it, you know, it's, it's a nice, it's, it's a very nice, you know, thing that this gets to be the centerpiece, you know, of this festival and that, you know, you are banding everybody together uh, for that reason. You know, it's funny. I had never really thought of it that way. I mean, I have talked a lot about King's place in the whole Sherlock Holmes pastiche universe because, you know, there's a lot of opinions with Sherlockians about whether it's the best one or not. Um, but but there is definitely a lot of uh, interest in it. But I hadn't really put it together with with regards to the Dollar Babies itself. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because it you're right. It, it, it is. It is. And I and I like that it's appropriate then that that we should be helping you know, share this universe for sure. So have there been any conversations about Stephen King popping up at this festival? In our wildest dreams. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, it's funny because um, I told James, we have a little group chat. I said, you know, we're, I'm going to manifest that he tweets us somehow. And he said fat chance. And I told him to get his chapstick ready to kiss my ass. So, <laughs> After he tweeted about us, I'm like, guys, we've got to manifest him showing up. And like, that's as far as we've really gotten. So send your good woo-woo vibes for us, people. How much chapstick do you have on him? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) 
I mean, obviously, it would be amazing to think that he might tune in a bit. And I mean, it is on his radar. Um, we have um, one of one of our special guests who we we have already kind of talked about. We just haven't put it in the schedule yet is Bev Vincent, who mm-hmm. has co-edited a couple of different works with King. Um, they've known each other for quite some time. Uh, he's become quite a good friend of ours. So it's really nice to be able to to kind of have a King adjacent person uh, involved to be able to give some context to everything. And who knows? I mean, maybe maybe he'll tune in for for that or to see some of the adaptations. I mean, as part of the, the Dollar Baby contract, everybody does send a DVD version of the film. Uh, originally, it was a VHS tape and now it's Blu-rays, but uh, to King. Um, but <laughs> there are fucking around with a VCR <laughs> exactly. anymore. Yeah. But there are also hundreds of these films now too, right? So I'm, I'm sure that he doesn't get to watch as many of them as he perhaps would like. Good answer. Also, Bev is a, a friend of the show. Uh, we've had him on before. Love that, Bev Vincent. Just oh, a he's, lovely, lovely gentleman. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, he and I uh, have become really fast friends, I like to think. Um, and we're actually working on a project together that hopefully I'll be able to talk about some other time. Oh, very nice. Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is usually the point in the show where we allow our guests to tease whatever they're working on or what's coming up. I think that's uh, blatantly obvious in y'all's case. <laughs> uh but do you have uh, do you have anything you want to tease? Like uh, I'm not fishing for actual spoilers, but do you want to tease any um, surprises or, or anything of that sort for the people that are going to be tuning in this weekend? I have a little tease. I know that I've been doing a lot of the talking now, so I do apologize, Norman Leah. But uh, we are um, for the doctor's case Q and A. Um, we are in fact putting together a small group, a small cast reunion of sorts. Oh, nice. um, and so there will be for the first time since we wrapped uh, quite a number of us who will be available there to, to have a quick chat, including some of the people that we talked about earlier. Um, so we'll, we'll be getting a little bit more information about that coming out in the next couple of days. Right on. Awesome. So do Anyone you want else? to? Nope. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> this is all going to be this is all going to be edited, folks. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, now that you said that, I'm totally going to leave all that awkwardness in just just to. You know, <laughs> kind of uh, so, yeah, before we wrap up one more time, tell everybody where they can uh, watch these and where where they can, when they can and how they can. Normally, you take this one. <laughs> Leah, you go ahead. No, one, two, three, not it. Norm, go. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, Norm, okay. you've barely talked. Come on. Yeah, man. What's going you on like, over there? Talk all the time. I'm like crazy. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, people that want to tune in, tune in uh, starting at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time into our YouTube channel, which is Barker Street Cinema, uh, or our Vimeo channel. But really, we'd really like you to go to our YouTube channel, most of all. And uh, it'll be uh, April 23rd, 24th, 25th. Right on. That's nice. right. And, and tweet along with us. Tweet along with us. Um, you can find us at Stephen King RLZ, but we also want to get that hashtag trending of Stephen King rules. I'm sorry. I got to make you spell it all out. Um, but we want to know where you're watching from. Like, let's really create this uh, global horror Stephen King community. Awesome. What was that noise? Was someone doing coke? What was that? I noise? think James was vaping. <laughs> oh, honestly, shh, shh, I might have been vaping. Yes. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> got, got to rip that sweet cotton, buddy. It's, <laughs> it's, 
put him on chapstick. Sounded like a microphone <laughs> in Gary Busey's apartment for a second. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, we love Uncle Red. You know. <laughs> it was nicotine, I should tell you. It was nicotine. Okay, good. We trust you. We, you. we have no visual confirmation of this, but I take your word for it. I'm not going to say good to that. I'm going to say that's disappointing. I <laughs> should be blazing up, man. You got a you got a hell of a film festival on your hands, and. Uh, we're really excited to to see how this pans out and, um, you know, how many of our listeners tune in. And we hope you get to do it again. This this sounds like an absolute blast. And, and we thank you all for putting it together. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks so much. Yes, I love your show. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome to deal with. <laughs> thank you. Why is that laugh? You guys don't think you're awesome to deal with? <laughs> oh, absolutely. We are notoriously awesome to deal with. <laughs> people say that people say that they're like yeah, first thing is like they're cool they're like yeah. cool guys you know like seriously cool guys and then they're like they're really awesome to deal with yep yeah <laughs> yeah that's our feedback that's all all of our itunes reviews yeah that's that's what's all and another thing people say is they're like you know if this is like famous people and they say like if other famous people don't agree to be on this show they're just fucking clowns that's the third uh-huh. thing. So. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having us. This has been great. Yeah.